Things are a little bit juggled with our time, so it's never a bad time to do top five and five. Take it away, Sam Hauser. Begin countdown. Five. 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 Always ready to go, because you never know when duty's going to call. So we can kind of throw this in as we start. You know, we always like to start top five at five. It's who's in, who's out for number five, and we can throw him in there in who's in. Clayton Kershaw. Shame on us to question his abilities at all, because after the slow start, well, Clayton Kershaw struck out four of the next six batters after that, so Dodgers holding on to that 2-1 to lead now, batting in the top of the fifth inning. We've already seen some steam coming out of Dave Roberts' ears while you guys were having your, your conversation in the last segment, so looking at the clock here, it's 537 at City Field, and the Mets were trying to put the lights on in the stadium already, which Dave Roberts... Uh, I can't even repeat what he said. He's basically just, no, no, not happening. Interesting. All right, so a little gamesmanship going on. How many uh, pitches? Uh, he had 38 pitches through two innings, okay? I know uh, he's mowing them down. So but now he's at he... 67 through four innings. You see, that's what I'm saying, okay? I, I don't see. 41 strikes, by the way. Four, he, that's a good percentage. Uh, yeah. He's that you got to figure he's he's on a pitch count like of around 80, don't you, Sam? Yeah, I mean, probably he's in a groove right now. So you probably want to let him go at least another inning or two if he can stay at this pace. But yeah, no, you're totally keeping an eye on the pitch count. Because, Scott, you know, I mean, come on. The, this game is irrelevant. This is more about, you know, them like leaving New York and Clayton Kershaw's on that charter and. He eases back into those nice seats that guys like you who used to travel with teams on charters, right. you know, would ease back <laughs> into. Mm. Those his were back, the good old days. His back would feel perfect. Uh, so how many pitches? I, I'm saying no more than 80. What do you say? What do you say? I think, I think you're right. 80, I would yeah. say maybe 85 since he's already on 67. Okay. Get him another inning. I'm going to say 80. What do you Get say, him Sammy? five innings is what I think. How many, yeah. sa- how many do you go with, Sam? Yeah, I, I, say he's, I, I say he's got one more inning. He'll let him get through the six as long as it goes, you know, without too many bumps and then he's done. Okay, okay, sounds good. All right, well, what else is going on? All right, also in the New England Patriots in Miami ahead of week one of the NFL season. And, I mean, just like here, you know, people like to come to New Mexico early or Colorado or Laramie or, you know, this, this part of the country. You like to get acclimated to the elevation out here. Well, same goes for the misery-inducing humidity of South Florida. So the Patriots are giving themselves plenty of time to get comfortable with that because that is week one next Sunday, and they're already in Miami. I mean, you talk about gamesmanship. Bill Belichick's done this a few times before. Oh, no. Ain't that the truth. Okay, so uh, who else is in, Sam? Well, I know we're going to talk more about this game and uh, about we- about the start of oh, the full first week of college football here a little bit later on in the show, but also in two rookie head coaches and two of the youngest head coaches in all of college football, part of the first marquee Saturday doubleheader that we're going to have here on ESPN Radio 1017, the team on Saturday. They're both 36 years old. They're both former defensive coordinators, now rookie head coaches. First up, 130 on Saturday. It's number 11, Oregon, playing at number three, Georgia, the defending national champions. And the Ducks' new head coach, was just on Kirby Smart's staff last season when the Bulldogs won that national title. It's Dan Lanning. He's 36 years old. He was the he was Georgia's defensive coordinator the last three years. Now he got bumped up to the head role. He's in Eugene, and he's going back to the place that was home for a while. Here's what's just so 
coincidental and unusual with regard to that. And that is like, of uh, th this game obviously was in place while he was a, a coordinator at Georgia. And the odds, I mean, it's not like Georgia and Oregon play each other uh, very often. No. And lo and behold, um, their this first game is against um, his his old you know where he was the, the the so instrumental and then winning a national championship. So anyway, no interesting uh, set of circumstances, Sam. Well, speaking of familiar faces and new places, this is why this is why the first couple weeks of football is always just it, it, it's such a. It's such a challenging transition because there's so much that happens that we don't keep up with in the offseason. You're trying to focus on all the games. You're trying to dive in head first, and then next thing you know, somebody something's poking at you from the side. Well, Landing, he's a new head coach in Oregon. He's got a new quarterback as well. It's Bo Nix, the Auburn transfer, the quarterback at Oregon. Uh, yeah, from Auburn, everybody remembers him because he started playing from the time he was a freshman. And, like, you think... You think of your prototypical quarterbacks at Oregon, and Bo Nix does not kind of fit no. that like description for me. But hey, why not? I mean, you get a guy who's like had so much experience. I, I mean, and they again happen to be playing Georgia, a team that he faced, I'm sure, a couple of different times over there at Auburn. So no, I I, I think that whole thing is there's a lot of coincidences. But I'm going to be either watching it or listening it because we got uh, it on at 1:30 on Saturday. The game that people will want to be checking out at that time of day. What else? Sam? Well, and then at 5:30, it's a top five matchup with. Notre Dame at Ohio State in Columbus, the Fighting Irish number five, Ohio State number two, with fellow 36-year-old Marcus Freeman taking over at Notre Dame after serving as Brian Kelly's defensive coordinator. Now he gets bumped up to head coach, so you have a couple of 36-year-olds in the marquee matchups on Saturday. By the way, they are among the youngest, not the youngest. The youngest head coach in college football this year, well, that honor belongs to Kane Womack at South Alabama. He's 35, so Marcus Freeman and these guys are not far ahead, but it just goes to show you got a, you got a handful of coaches in their mid-30s getting uh, first-time head coaching jobs in college football this year. They We have seen that. Danny... You know, Coach Danny Gonzalez, uh, also very sure. young when he got the job, you know. So, yeah, you're seeing it more and more, uh, you know, now. Um, but, yeah, that, that Notre Dame-Ohio State game, when I, I wasn't even paying attention and didn't realize that that was going to be part of the first weekend of the season because I never, you know, Scott, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you think of non-conference games year after year after year after year, and um, it's you never think of Notre Dame, Ohio State. Cause you think of Notre Dame, Not Michigan. One, no, you don't. Or, you, or, they, or any year. The coolest saying and the lamest saying at the same time, guys. The saying that I heard a couple of times while I was in Columbus last week, getting ready for that game. Well, the Buckeyes are going to turn the Irish to stew. <laughs> Gee, that's great. I love hearing stuff like that. Hey, I didn't make that one up. <laughs> oh, uh, well, okay. So, so getting back to that game, uh, the, the the last time they played was in 1996. So they played in 95 and 96, a home and home. Uh, Ohio State won all those the, those both those games. But th the reason that it like I can't wrap my head around it, Sam, is because they didn't play between like 1936 and 1995. So here you have these like 
kind of regional teams, rivalry regional. teams. And while you got Michigan sprinkled in a few years over there against Notre Dame and Michigan State sprinkled in over there uh, at, against um, Notre Dame and Purdue, like for whatever reason, they stayed away from each other. They did play in a bowl game in the Fiesta Bowl in 2006. Um, so, and Notre, uh, Ohio State won that game. But uh, the, the thing is that Notre Dame is going into this, like, Big, big game with the first-year head coach of Marcus Freeman. Uh, there, last time I checked, the two-touchdown underdog. Let's hope it is entertaining because, like you said, Sam, we've got that game on at 530. Yeah, what did Steve Berline say last week? If they keep it in two touchdowns, he'll be thrilled. He's like, oh, I'm going to that game. I'm, I'm telling my buddies if we can get out of there with less than three touchdowns, I'll Yeah, be there happy. you go. <laughs> That's basically what he said. New quarterback, all that kind of stuff. But maybe he's just playing coy. You know that that's how Steve is sometimes. But you know, I, I'm telling you, um, you know that, that this is this is really a neat deal. I wish it was it was Brian Kelly. Like when it was originally ske- scheduled, you know, they thought it was going to be Brian. I will tell you guys this one. We're talking about Oregon and Georgia. We've seen Oregon kind of do this a lot it, it, early in the season. They get like this big big uh, matchup, which I love. I mean, I give them credit. They go out and get those games. Uh, we're talking about my, you know, the uh, Notre Dame and um, Ohio State. Here's which one I'm keeping an eye on is Sunday night, Florida State uh, at LSU. That is a combination a of one. uniforms that I don't think I've ever seen. I mean, we know LSU plays Florida all the time because they're in the same conference, but Florida State having the guts to go into Death Valley and Baton Rouge? Yeah, because that's not even going to be a money game for them. It's just going to be a, I guess, welcome to the season kind of game. And then we could say, hey, at least if we lost, we lost to LSU. That kind of sounds like right up Florida State's alley, the way things have gone the last <laughs> few years. But yeah, but talk about the how Florida State has gone the last few years. Okay, so you you were living in Florida for quite a while, Sam. Yes, you saw the ebbs and flows of like I mean, even like ever since Bobby Bowden gone, they've pretty much been a dud. I mean, Jimbo Fisher, I guess, did enough to get the job at A and M, but uh, it seems like Florida State has been a non-factor for like. Six, seven years. Am I over-exaggerating on that? No, that's about right because, yeah, I mean, right, yeah, you go back, you, you're talking six, seven years. Right before that would have been uh, the, the one good year that they had with uh, with Jameis Winston at quarterback and Dalvin Cook in the backfield and a team that looked uh, that – I think that – I swear, I, I'd have to go back and look at the schedule, but I feel like they came from behind in almost every game that season because the fourth quarter would come around and Jameis Winston would just go win them a game and nobody could tackle – Dalvin Cook, but after that, yeah, it's been back to right back been, to irrelevance. Okay, well, who's out? Who's right. out? Sam? Well, as we're talking about Clayton Kershaw and keeping an eye on his pitch count and everything for the Dodgers coming up on the end of the regular season, not good news on the pitching front on a couple of di- for a couple different guys with reliever Bruzdar Gratterol back uh, back out again. He's going to have an MRI tomorrow when the Dodgers go back to LA. Not wanting to speculate, but. A growing chance, potentially, that we, we've we seen the last of Bruce Dargratterol this year. He's still dealing with the elbow pain, not able to throw much bullpen session. And then Tony Gonsolin going to have an MRI tomorrow as well. His forearm soreness not going the way the Dodgers had hoped. So a couple pitch- a couple pitchers that we're going to have to keep an eye on. A couple of question marks. What uh, Who else is out, Sam? All right, also uh, on the injury front, this uh, for this one we go to Baltimore Ravens head coach John Harbaugh. Do have a, a 
personnel announcement to make. Poe is going to be put on injured reserve for the rest of the season. He's going to be done. Unfortunately, he sustained a serious injury to his drumstick, and uh, he will not be able to perform for the rest of the season. We will find a replacement. We're going to go to work on that right away. We're going to turn over every stone, scour everywhere, and find his replacement. We're going to get right into evaluating our options and see where we go next and see if we can find somebody to replace Poe. I like chicken. <laughs> Tore the ACL on his drumstick. Yeah, Poe the mascot. Raven mascot. Uh, he was playing in a, in a game at halftime uh, in the preseason against a bunch of kids and tore his ACL, and he's out for the year. All right. What else, Sam? All right, last uh, last one for who is out. Not an injury on this one, but, I mean, look, Cincinnati's not exactly big market when it comes to professional sports, but Joe Burrow, and, and maybe this helps him that Joe Burrow's already, you know, being in Cincinnati, he's already a star Everybody loves him. He's got the swagger, of course, the play on the field, going to the Super Bowl last season. But not all candy and rainbows in the life of Joe Burrow as a young man growing up as an NFL quarterback. If you had to describe your brand, what would it, how would you describe it? That's, what's, that's the beauty of a brand. You don't have to describe it yourself. You guys do it for me. <laughs> what's the worst part about being a celebrity? Um, you know, whenever you go in public, it always just feels like a production. Um, You'd like to go out and sit at a, a dive bar every now and then, but that's not reality. I could see Joe Barrow hanging out, uh, hanging out at a dive bar. That would actually be a good time. I mean, he uh, he he fancies himself a good time sitting back, kicking in the chair with a cigar after LSU won the national title. But yeah, saying that he's not going to be able to do that. Joe Burrow checklist: no dive bar. All well, right. Well, it's week four. three tonight, uh, starting week three of high school football tonight. Game we're keeping an eye on here in the area, Albuquerque High. They've only played one game so far. The Bulldogs 1-0, taking on the 1-1 one one Sandia Matadors. And then to our south uh, in Las Cruces, certainly going to be an emotional game in Las Cruces tonight with Mayfield 2-0, taking on Oregon Mountain 1-1. One and, one. and, of course, they're going to play each other on the football field tonight. And then on Sunday, they're going to be helping each other out. All all four of the major uh, programs in Las Cruces, uh, Mayfield, Centennial, Las Cruces, and Oregon Mountain, of course. So we mentioned this yesterday. Uh, they're going to be having a fundraising car wash on Sunday to help out uh, Abe Romero and his family from Oregon Mountain. So uh, going up against each other on the football field tonight and then coming together uh, on Sunday for that uh, fundraising event. Right, and we talked about it. Uh, yeah, the Oregon Mountain player got injured against Deming. And uh, we actually have tweeted out a link where you can contribute to support it. We're supporting it. We hope anybody that can do the same uh, would be able to help out if they can just a little bit even. Um, so that, that'll be on our social media, Sam? Uh, yes, uh, it's on 1017 The Team Twitter. Uh, it's right at the top of the page. I believe it should still be the pinned tweet. So uh, you can find that there, the link to the website of the Oregon Mountain uh, High School Booster Club. Uh, all the information on, on how to get that uh, do, uh, donation money out, and it goes directly to the family. All right. What is the number two story of the day, Sam? Two. Yeah, we're actually going to combine number two and three because they're both contractual stories. Uh, first coming out this morning, Russell Wilson signs a five-year extension with the Denver Broncos worth $245 million, $165 million guaranteed. So it keeps him under contract in Denver for the next seven years, combining the two that he already had plus the five-year extension. But the news that kind of took over contract-wise, uh, big news-wise after that, uh, just a little while ago, 
Donovan Mitchell is a Cleveland Cavalier, guys. Of all the places that we pontificated about where Donovan Mitchell would go, don't think Cleveland was on that list, but Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell going to Cleveland. Trade is done. The Utah Jazz getting Laurie Markkinen. Ochai Abaji, who just got done at Kansas, one of the rookie lottery picks. Colin Sexton and three unprotected first-round picks. A couple swaps as well. So now the Jazz have traded both Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And between both of those have collected 15 first-round draft picks. Between now and 2029, through the end of the decade, 15 extra first-round picks. They're happy, and for Cleveland, they get to keep pretty much they, they get to keep the the core intact. This young core that they've been building through the draft the last couple of years. Now, yeah, Donovan Mitchell, and that's another team that's I mean, you know, m- maybe still a year or so away from being a legitimate threat in the, in the East as a whole. But, I mean, Cleveland was already a nice story last year getting into the play-in game and fully anticipate they go to another level. All right. Well, the other big contract of the day, though, Sam, uh, Russell Wilson. Yeah, Russell Wilson, five years, $245 million. Russell Wilson is set for you know very likely, potentially at least, the rest of his career. Uh, he's under contract now with the Broncos through his age 40 season. $165 million guaranteed. So, you know, we saw Deshaun Watson, of course, got fully guaranteed. Kyler Murray was, you know, somewhere in the 80 to 90% range. And, and I mean, you know, Denver, they gave him the five years. Guaranteed money-wise, could have been worse. I'd say on this one, everybody's probably happy. I, I, I think there's, I still think there might have been some hesitation on Denver's part, but I think on this one, everybody's just happy that this is over and they know that they have Russell Wilson for a while. All right, well, everybody's happy about number one because Serena Williams is still playing. That is right. Serena staying alive. She won her second-round match at the U.S. Open. Uh, Now still undefeated all-time in her career in the first two rounds of the U.S. Open. Pulling off the win earlier today. And... You know, of course, there was a lot of talk a couple weeks ago leading into the Open. You know, is she going to retire after this? Is this going to be the last one? Well... Serena opening up a little bit that, you know, she had to go through, you know, some of the internal dialogue as well and kind of figure out, you know, some of the next stages of her life and reaching out in this in this particular time. I mean, you talk about two powerhouses of business and sport and and, and industry. Serena talking about getting a little bit of advice from Tiger Woods along the way. He's one of the main one of the reasons I'm here. One of the main reasons I'm still playing. Um, So we we talked a lot and. He was really trying to get me motivated. And there's a few people, but, you know, he was, uh, we were like, okay, we can do this together, you know. And um, and it was good because it was like, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I, I just lost. And I, I, I just so many questions. And when you can rely on someone like that, I mean, my goodness, he's Tiger Woods. It just was um, really helpful to get clarity. Well, there you go. And uh, she was not given any favors. I mean, she uh, had to face the number two seed in the tournament in the second round, and she is able to advance. All right, that's going to do it for this half hour. When we come back, the superintendent for the Albuquerque Public Schools, Scott Elder, is going to join us next. You're listening to Team Talk ESPN Radio 101.7 The Team.